Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. My guest on Talk Design today is Samantha Wills. Now, Samantha needs no introduction for many people. She's pretty well known, certainly in Australia, very well known, and through the US. She's a jewellery designer, or she was a jewellery designer. Um, she had the company Samantha Wills, which uh, had huge success, and we're going to talk a bit about that. And she's also written her first book, which she actually went and studied writing, um, which I thought was a really fabulous thing for somebody who, you know, left school without really caring about any of that, but went and studied writing. And it's a great book. I've had a read of 99% of it. I do this weird thing when I read a book. I start at different places and then try and jumble it back together as I go, just to keep it interested. So of Golden Dust is her memoir. Um, really fabulous. And she's well interviewed. Sam is well interviewed globally and very, very generous with her time in this. So I'm not going to try and ask her all the normal questions. You can buy the book, read all that. You'll find out a lot about her there. Um, I'm going to try and ask her some things around creative and design and her life. So Sam, welcome. Sorry, Samantha. Welcome to Talk Design. Thank you for having me on. What a treat. Oh, it's fabulous. Very exciting for me. As a question, as a first question, I'm going to jump into one we just discussed before, which was feminist, feminine, and how you see that, and males who are feminists as well. Let's, if you're happy to, tell me about that. Yeah. Um, well, I think they all coexist. I think I think there's a stigma that they can't coexist, feminine and feminists. Um, I think it's, you know, in, in everything that we do, um, you know, we spoke a bit before about how that energy relates to creativity and relates to design. A lot of my design language, I say, is masculine meets feminine. Um, you know, it's um, very much when I had the jewellery company, we used to do these hand carved wooden boxes, which to me were this like feminine, uh, sorry, masculine element. And then you open this, you know, this wooden box and there's the sparkling jewellery inside. So I, I, I definitely bring it to, to all my design work. Um, and definitely as, you know, my career and um, my life has evolved, I bring it to my activist work as well. It's something I'm, I'm very passionate about and, and trying to normalise the conversation around it. Oh, I love that. I love that. I, one of the questions I love to ask designers and especially architects is, um, is that building or is that space masculine or feminine energy? And it's a really good stumping one, you know, like it stumps people, um, mainly because of the fact that, it's not necessarily totally defined. It's defined by the designer or the person who's putting it together. Mm -hmm. um, and I always think that to design anything. So my background was um, fashion design for many years before I started designing homes mm -hmm. and mainly in the women's realm. Um, so swimwear design, things like that. Um, and I would, I know now looking back, I approached it with masculine energy mm -hmm. Um for, 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 for women to wear, which yeah. I'm going, man, how bad was that? And 
I'm reasonably um, in tune. So I would always sort of have that kind of muse type thing um, where I would have either an avatar or somebody that I would be imagining it for. So then I would actually be very much trying to be in that space. But with yourself, like um, if you come to, like you said, an activist there and then feminine energy, take the foundation, for instance. So I didn't say that before, but the Samantha Wills Foundation. Is it... How do you balance that? How do you balance the masculine and feminine energy in there? Well, I think if you look at creative business, I think the business ascent traditionally is a masculine energy. It's the black and white. If there's one way to run a PL to make it, you know, there's a right and a wrong way, sorry, to run a PL. Gotcha. But then you look at creativity, it's it's objective, it's intuitive, it's the, the feminine side. So I think with the foundation, um, you know, and I'm I'm very much naturally on, on the right side of the brain in, in the creative space, but to have a, a successful commercial creative business. You, you do need that that business foundation and that masculine element to it. Um, and obviously when we're talking about masculine and feminine in this instance, it's not a gender role, it's it's no. an energy around it. So, um, and I think, you know, for, for a lot of it, especially as solopreneurs and as female founders, that we have to find that masculine um, energy as it relates to the business side of things. So I think with the foundation, um, you know, I'm very much handing over the tangibles of what I know about business and what I know about a as a woman in business um but that definitely falls into the masculine side of things if that makes sense yeah cool it does and and i know um in the design space like i would call on lots of feminine energy when i'm designing as well as a lot of masculine energy and analytics and stuff like that to to kind of put things together so i totally get that um and sometimes you're not sure when when for me i'm not sure when i'm going into one or the other they're, they're very blended but to be empathetic in the design space I find that it's much easier to be empathetic I don't think I've got any of my masculine energy to tell you the truth um, <laughs> it's much easier to just go and try and pull on the feminine energy right, for that right. empathy you know which, which, which is not about I think that's a beautiful thing that's a great thing yeah I don't think that um, I could successfully design anything without it mm-hmm I think it's too like who you're designing for and what the space is for. Like I had this conversation with my partner um, a while ago at a restaurant in the city and I was like, wow, this is a really feminine. So it was a Japanese restaurant. I was like, wow, this is a really feminine space. He's like, what do you even mean by that? I was like, well, you know, the the tables are rounded, but then there's, you know, there's a a masculine wall, but it was a white wall, but it was, you know, a lot of straight line. And he just like couldn't, and he's not a creative person, but he just couldn't. And I said, oh, the the, the meaning of the masculine and the feminine. And he's like, I've got absolutely no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) I think, you know, it's, it's, it's such a beautiful fusing and it it goes through every, every touch point, I believe. So I think to bring, and I think the home, um, you know, as we talk about it progressing through, I think the home is definitely a, needs to be a feminine, a, yeah. more, you know, a 51% feminine yeah. um, at a minimum. So I yeah. think when we talk about that warmth and that that kind of, you know, nurturing and hospitality, that's, that's the feminine energy. So when you say that that's what you bring, I think that's a brilliant thing. I think that um, I, when I'm designing a home, once we're, once we're, not necessarily through the door, but once we're on the property, mm-hmm. I think very much it's um, about, for me, I, I put on, okay, we're going to need structure mm-hmm. um, to create the, the, the form of it. It's going to have a form, but then the journey into that structure is a feminine energy. Yes. And I, and it gets slightly more and more. And then there's certain areas in the home where I go, you know what, 
like uh, take for instance the bedroom would be the biggest example i would use the main bedroom um this should have it whilst it's um got multiple purposes this mm -hmm. room it should be a place where i believe um a woman can escape to or relax and um, and in the old days, you know, they had boudoirs, which were those rooms beside their bedrooms and stuff, mm -hmm. where it actually was a place where they can, for women who, who carry so many more um, layers of, uh, I suppose, emotional energies mm -hmm. at any one point, somewhere where they can actually be feel nurtured, feel protected. I'm putting my hands yeah. like this because it's like, how yeah, do you put that security <laughs> around you? Yeah, the womb. Yeah. I, I did a talk a little while ago um, on feminine energy and I made sure all the pictures I had were looking out and mm -hmm. all the internal pictures were of organic soft shapes. Yeah, beautiful. And I described it because as the feminine energy, I said, this is the womb. This is, this is like looking out to the world. This is where the birthing of something comes from. Love and, that. you know, use things like um, Pierre Caron's old place in um, Nice and stuff mm -hmm. like that, where there are all those beautiful soft shapes. Yeah. Um, and also the color palettes, right. the color palettes, those very gentle color palettes. Yes. Um, but yeah, just at, at the, the whole conversation around that I find absolutely fascinating and as you go into the foundation um your foundation mm -hmm. you must attract like such a broad spectrum of people and oh, I've had a nosy around in there but with it like how do you be everything to everyone in that space you don't I think that you know I learned that it took me a long time to learn that lesson that if you try and be everything to everyone you end up engaging no one so I think you know I'm very specific with my language in there I use um you know if I was talking about God I would call her her if I was talking about um you know I, I'm, I'm I'm assuming that 99% of the people in there are female and it's not to say that men are aren't welcome in there by any means, but I'm like, it's it's a safe space for women to come in probably with a similar thought process. It's usually creative women in there. So they probably aren't natural uh, business people that have to learn that element of it. So um, yeah, I, I'm very specific on talking to a, a smaller, more engaged audience than trying to be everything to everyone. I like that. <laughs> Which is a brilliant answer, a brilliant answer <laughs> to, yeah, just being who you are and basing it off your moral values and your your values of life. Yeah, and I think, you know, whether it's the foundation, whether it's how I wrote the book, whether it's, you know, these, these kind of things that you're producing and putting out into the world that aren't necessarily product-based but can apply to product. Um, I, I do it, I, you know, I wrote the book for a book that I would want to read. I've designed the foundation for a way that I want to consume information about business and branding. And I think, you know, as, as creative brand builders, as creative entrepreneurs, you know, in a world of 7 billion people, I think the natural create the natural creative thought process is like, oh, well, you know, totally already been done or, you know, this is, you know, who am I to do this kind of thing? But I'm like, in a world of 7 billion plus people, it's like, if there's a way that we speak or we want to be communicated with or there's a value we hold, there is a huge market of other people that, that are like-minded like that. So I think Absolutely. when we strip that back to our complete truth, our complete creative truth, that's, you know, the word manifesting is so bastardized and overused. Oh, yeah. Manifesting is like when, when we go back to our core creative truth and then we, we attract 
what is meant for us. That's the true vibrational connection, not, you know, trying to be what everyone's doing on Instagram or not trying to be what society wants us to like, or whatever element you're applying it to. I'm like, that's where you attract your, your people. That was something I loved in your book about um, you're just talking about when you kind of hit your own ego and, Mm -hmm. um, and also about being released to be yourself. And maybe that only comes with, if if we're, I, I don't know, I think it comes with age. I think, I, I, and experience, you know. Yeah, you, I think people, it's a life work, to be honest. Yeah. I think it's something that you constantly, especially in this day and age, and, you know, we were talking before about feminism. I'm like, the I say shackles, that's probably a bit aggressive for the conversation, but the framework that we take on from such a young age is that we have to be, you know, meet someone at this age, get married by this age, have kids by this age, do this in our business and blah, 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 blah. So this one framework that we're like, okay, I'm going to put that on because that's what I've been told to put on. Yes. And it's like, but hang on, wh- whose framework is that? Like if, if we're constantly trying to, uh, you know, tick the boxes of this framework, it's going to feel constantly like, it's like, wait, but that just doesn't fit for me. But why? I can't put my finger on it. So I think to, to shed that, and that's what I say before about getting back to, to the core, is like shedding this framework, whatever, whether it's your mums, whether it's society, whether it's religion, whatever it is. that, that well, it, will be, it will be all of them. All of them, right? And it's, yeah. it's a framework. So I think shedding that and being like, wait, but who, all right, well, who am I then without that framework? And that's that's the life work where you then step into yourself and be like, fire out, that feels so much more comfortable. <laughs> yeah, <is> and, <laughs> and finding the, the um, journey in. And then allowing yourself to keep following it is also that's very brave, very courageous. It's it's truly a life's work. I, uh, it's it's a, and especially for kind of you know my generation, the generations kind of either on side on side of me, like you're saying before about your daughters, where they push back and be like, Dad, you should know this stuff. What Dad? I'm like, it's this generation, our generations that kind of have that undoing to undo and then yeah. relearn. Whereas you know your daughter's age, my niece's age. I'm like the the future's in good hands. They've got they know exactly who they are, where they're going. They're we're the ones that have got the undoing to do. A way more, way way more than we do. Like and and I know, you know, just the unlearning um, and the accepting and you know shedding judgment around so many things so is for me. It's just so constant. And the difference between an eighteen year old and a ten year old is yeah. massive as well. Totally. It's um. Yeah. And when you talk about like letting go of, of that judgment, like even if it's whatever it is in, in this day and age, you're like, I tr- in my core truth, I have my own now opinion of it, but there's something and I point to the back of my head because I'm like, yeah. it, it's held there because you're like, hang on, I picked up this judgment on when it's in my DNA. And an example I use, and as you know, I love my dad dearly, but I, I remember this is like one very random example out of, you know, a barbecue would have been in the mid eighties and he yep. was like, Oh no, that's a woman's job. Whatever you're talking about. That's a woman's job. No, no, no. And so then I, as a, you know, five-year-old at the time, be like, okay, no, that's a woman's job. Well, so we pick these things up that are subconsciously just spoken words. You're like, okay, yes. well, that's now my truth. So now at, you know, 39, yep. even though I, I truly don't believe, you know, that anything that, is that's woman's work, job, but yep. it's, it's there, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's the undoing and that's that's the job we have at hand and it's a big one. I, I think it's, a, yeah, and it is the, it's the undoing. It's how do we remove that because... Um, there, there is no real gender-specific work. Uh, there may be certain things that certain genders are maybe better suited to, mm-hmm. um, just be for, for, you know, like male strength, physical right. strength, right. Um, things like that. Not a backyard barbecue. <laughs> no, no, or doing dishes. 
Dan. <laughs> As I was saying earlier, like one of the things, I'm glad you brought your dad up. Um, on your on your Instagram, I would always get so many chuckles about you telling stories about your dad. And clearly, both your parents, you love them dearly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they shaped a lot of how you were allowed yourself to be. That was something that I found really fascinating. Yeah. Was they backed you and trusted you to go and be who you needed to be. Um, yeah, I think from a creative, one of my earliest creative memories of that was, um, you know, I'm an only child and in my room at home, um, I was allowed to do anything creatively in there I wanted. Like I could paint the walls, I hung, hung troll dolls from the roof. I had like, it was just like a complete shit, like creative shit show in there. <laughs> but my parents like, especially my mom at times, she's like, whatever you want to do creatively can go within the four walls of that room. Whereas my friends weren't allowed to even put blue tackle posters on their walls. And so, I, and it's, just, it's, a, it's a weird thing, but I return to it often because I'm like, I feel like that was such a creative freedom as a seven-year-old, nine-year-old, 15-year-old to be able to be like, express yourself on, you know, how you want to yeah. create in there. Well, you allowed to create your own environment. Yeah, which is, it was like, you're, you're a person, you have an opinion, you, you, you can do that. And it was, it was pivotal for me, I think. That's fantastic, eh? Because mm-hmm. as you say, like you look at your other friends who probably followed the the you know the family line, and um, missed that growth that growth segment of right. experimentation and the um, the ability to create. Well, I want to ask you about being that. stifled. You know, if, if you're like yeah. if you, you want a pink wall, you can't have pink wall because the whole house is white. It's like it's, it's <laughs> stifling of your individual, and it, it sounds a bit ridiculous when you talk about it. But I'm like, I think it's really powerful. So I'm I'm with you. Like, um, one of my daughters has a very pristine, um, my, the older one, very pristine room. Doesn't like anything out of place. You know, we'll come home and actually spend an hour or two just tidying in her already tidy room. <laughs> that that suits her personality beautifully. Right. She's very highly self-motivated and she's um, works for herself, 18, left school, works for herself, Amazing. has multiple clients um, where she does different organisational type, um, administration type jobs oh, yeah. for them. Um, yeah, she's, she's entrepreneurial, very entrepreneurial in her outlook. And then my other one is far more creative, far more messy, um, mm-hmm. quick to try and get away with something. Um, <laughs> her nickname's the Rat. Um, <laughs> I sound like the younger one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you do. <laughs> Very much you do. And she said to me a little while ago, she said, can we paint the wall in my room? I said, yeah, sure. What do you want? I want a mural. And I said, hmm, of what? And she goes, well, I want sort of sky coming down that's dark with stars and stuff in it. And then I want some hills and stuff. And then I want sunlight in this part. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, right, bugger, I'm the creative one. Yeah, I'm the one that's going to try and sort this. And finally I said to her, we got chatting, and I said, well, why don't we start with your door? And so she's like, Really? And I'm like, yeah, why don't you start with your door? Why don't we go and buy a whole lot of spray bombs and graffiti it? Oh, amazing. And so we graffitied the back of her door with planets. Wow. And um, and glitter. And, oh, my God, just like, and it's, you only see it if you close the door. So right. she closes the door a lot so she can see it. But, again, just she's out there with me with bits of cardboard and spraying dots and making shapes and spraying oh. them on the back of the door. Yeah. Um, the only thing I'd say for anybody who does that, um, when you do it, 
know that you're not going to use that door for at least two weeks. And if you put it back up in the room, you're going to die of like VOCs. Oh, it's shocking. <laughs> it's shocking. I, almost, I, I had to take it back down again after four days because sure. the metallic yeah, my, paint, it's a, it's a stayer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're going to be Banksy, do it outside. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. What about creative process? Do you have a switch? Do you switch it on? If I say to you, Samantha, I need this, um, da, 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 da. Do you, do you have a, a, a creative? Do you um, know, I, I would sit down and be like, is it on or is it not? I have to sit down and start it to know yep. if it's on or not. Um, if it's on, I honour that and I stay in it a bit longer. If it's not on, I push as far as I can to kind of, you know, you, the same with writing, like you can't edit an empty page. So I'm like, right, whatever creative process I'm like, I'm like get something done and then re, you know let it simmer revisit so no it's it's not a switch that I can turn on and off but I I definitely have to I know I have to show up to to see where I'm at that day so that's a great answer too that's a great answer I always say you know some days you're just gonna have to work out a lot of shit yeah and yeah. And, and just but keep working on the shit because it'll give you the breakthrough and um, you, you've got to get through that at some point. So whether you want to do that on day one, day two, day three, or you want to show up till you think your creativity is on on day 10 and be like, shit, now I've got to go through all the shit. And, and, do, and do the job and, and deliver it on time. An, an assignment. <laughs> so no, you've got, to, you've got to do the time on it. There's no doubt about that, eh? This is absolutely key to it. I have a bit of a creative switch, but it is, um, it's one where I've got a formula sort of um, behavior to get through the shit. Oh. Yeah. Just like you were saying, show up and start it. And then um, I've kind of got a formula that I know gets me there fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get the checkpoints on the way in. And it yeah. is, it's like composting it in a way. Like you've got to kind of plant this, let it, let it sit, like come back the next day, yeah. take it out. So um, I guess, yeah, definitely a process. Um, obviously, if it's something you're really keen to work on, creativity flows a little bit easier sometimes that way. But I think that's the challenge when you're given a job that you're like, hey, this is, this is a challenge in every aspect. Well, Especially once you move from, say, like you're doing your own jewellery line to mm -hmm. doing something like you did with Billabong, where you've got to put a different avatar into the picture yeah. um, and then you're actually creating for their brand, mm -hmm. your brand matched with their brand, but it can't be the same as your brand. Definitely. And you've got to shift. You've got to make a shift. Yeah. And I think it's, um, it's healthy. I think, you know, I had the cement that was jewelry brand for 15 years. So I think it's really healthy if you can to get out and do whether they're paid or not to do other projects to, yeah. to kind of, you know, um, reset and, and, and relook at things in a new way. So I think it's, yeah, it's challenging, but very, very healthy. Yeah. I think it builds a, a really strong muscle. Yeah, absolutely. Really strong creative muscle. And I mean, going from say doing, jewelry on the kitchen table mm -hmm. to the next steps of doing it with your knee busted and um, out of desperation from boredom yeah. um, and then selling it. Uh, you've always been, you've always been a hustler. So you love to sell it. Like you love to, that's part of what, who you are. It's like, I can make it. It's got value. This is actually, this is going to go around to a different question than mm -hmm. I was going to ask. At some point you you felt confident enough in who you were as a person or you felt um I don't know what it is that you went that's valuable I'm selling it I'm not it I'm not do, just giving it away I can actually sell what of this and and somewhere in there there's a self-belief jump that most people 
a lot of people never get in their creative state. I don't know if it was a proactive jump at that point. Like I think, you know, I was handmaking it on my dining table, then friends would come around, oh, can I buy this? I was like, oh, it's not really for sale, but yeah, well, sure kind of thing. Then this organic party plan. So it was almost like baby steps that was, you know, kind of led up to it. I think the, the biggest jump for me, um, and I tell this story in the book about where, you know, someone asked me to display at Australian Fashion week and I was like oh no it's just a hobby no 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 I, I, I can't do that and then um you know by by elements that happened um you know and and as I say in the book it's funny what fuels us like a, a boy that I had a crush on came past with his you know new girlfriend and was like oh so this is your little hobby is it and I was like I'll show you a hobby and then I was like, <laughs> exactly. hey that's what fashion week still available because if it is I'll take it and I think you know there's certain things in life where our hand is forced be it um, circumstances that you know it doesn't always come dressed as a you know a gold envelope it no. as, as heartbreak and as exhaustion or, or what it's like when we get tired of it we're like okay we it's like all right and round one we're we're going into round two um I so like, you know, I don't know if um I, I don't I don't remember being like oh I'm gonna go and do this uh, until that point it was very you know organic that you know I, yeah. I didn't want to sell it at, at the state you know I was very nervous about that so um but yeah, I, I look back now, people are like, you're so brave to do it at, at 21. I was like, I was just naive. Like I look back at 21 yeah. year old me and I'm like, if I, you know, if I flip that now, I'm like, I don't, if I knew what I knew now, I would be much more hesitant and scared, but, you know, ignorance is bliss in, in some ways. And that, that really allows you to take some, some big jumps at times. I so, 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 so agree with that. And I think it's so fabulous. The naivety, um, it's like, you know, you're starting the foundation. You, yeah. I mean, you could have gone, well, uh, I'll just stick with this, um, you know, Samantha Wills jewellery line. And uh, um, yes, I'll bow out as the designer and we'll call it, you know, SW or whatever yeah. it is. We'll shift it, we'll morph it. And then maybe I can sell it later or whatever. But a couple of things here. One, big and brave, close it down, um, but beautifully done. And on the other side of it also, jumping into something that you go, well, I don't actually know where this is going totally or where it will end or how it will get there. But that's that naivety that you go, I can get the right people around me. Don't worry. I can I get can. the right people. And I think in, in the sense, so I launched the foundation in 2016 as just, as I said, like, like a side hustle, like not even yeah. a hustle. It's just like, you know, I was writing things on Instagram about specifically women in business and the vulnerabilities of that. And I saw the, the response. I was like, okay, this is not even like this is needed. I was like, all right, well, this is, this is working. I, I noticed that I felt alive when I was doing that. So I was like, all right, I'm going to launch the foundation and kind of tell bigger stories around that while still having the, the jewelry business. And then when, you know, I decided to close the jewellery business, I made that decision in mid-2018. But, you know, it, it was a two-year internal wrestle with myself because I think, you know, when you ever so modestly name a, a business and brand after yourself, you're like, well, this is my this is my lot in life, you know, this is, this is what I, you know, I'm going to do. I'm going to climb this mountain. And I think that, you know, probably around 2016, just after I launched the foundation, or just around that time, um, that, that creative spark that, you know, I used to, you know, it used to fire and burn to, to design jewellery, I noticed that it was flickering out. And by that point, I'd designed 11,000 pieces of jewellery. So I was like, oh, okay, really? what's an uncommon feeling? Like, it's a creative block. Like, you know, it comes and goes, like, push through, push through. And, you know, six months in, hadn't come back. A year in, I hadn't come back. So by the time I got to the decision to be like, okay, I, it's time to close this and start a new chapter, um, it was a two-year, you know, internal turmoil to get to that. But 
when I'm when that decision reached me, and I say reached me because I literally feel like I created space and it landed on my heart and and shoulders. Um, and I would wake up every morning, you know, I didn't tell a soul for two weeks because obviously it affected a lot more people than just myself. So I woke up every morning for two weeks and I asked myself how I felt about it, not what I what I thought about it. And, you know, when we talk about the masculine and feminine, the, math, the, the feminine decision-making is feeling-based and the masculine is logical-based. So I was like, all right, how, you don't have a company. I pretend I didn't have a company. I was like, you don't have a company anymore. How does that feel? I didn't ask myself how I what I thought about it, because I logically, there was no logic to closing a business in growth that was high profit. Like there was just no logic to explain that. But like I say, you can't fake a feeling. And I was like, it felt like the absolute right thing to do. And I never went back on my thought process to, to this very day. I was like, I didn't want to sell it. I didn't want to sell my name. My heart wasn't, you know, constructed in a way that I could see what someone else would do with this yeah. brand would it over 15 years. I was like, closing is the right thing to do. And, and that's what we did. Yeah, hugely brave. Well, hugely brave just in the fact that knowing to listen to yourself. That's where I say brave. Like most people's companies don't make it that long. Um, so they close before then and a whole lot of other people lose the money. And this way you were able to, you know. Well, I think as, as a creative venture and as a creative founder, to me it's more detrimental I think is the right word. like it's, it's more fraudulent to push forward without that creative soul so if I'm showing up every yep. day just designing jewelry with my hands and not my heart and you know the, the whole thing was this connection I was like that's more fraudulent to me and I think that's when I would have started to see it commercially run into the ground because if a creative founder is showing up without creativity energy um it, that's where you financially you know that, you, that's in you the destroy dark. it you, you destroy it in fact you yeah. see a lot of companies um, at a, somewhere between that 12 and probably 15 year mark yep. um, is where they they well, probably start running it by the numbers yep. and they just keep producing the same stuff over and over and over until it's boring That's and yeah. they crash it. Yeah, They actually crash the company. Um, I know as a, as a, like even a, when I was like in my 20s, I, I looked at this thing and went, you know, it, it takes about 10 to 15 years to build something. God knows how I had the insight to even notice that, but I did. You did. <laughs> it does. It's at a bare minimum. It's 10, 10 to 15 years, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. 10,000 hours might make you an expert in something or enough knowledge that you could um, at least get by in any situation, but that's a 10 year journey in itself. Totally. totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about, do you have a daily routine? Do you have, do you have this little kind of, um, you know, I get up and I do this. I wait, I wait. I get asked that so often, and I feel like I, yeah. know, I wish I had a romantic answer for you. <laughs> some days I'm just trying to get through. Um, no, it depends what I've got on. You know, if I'm working, you know, pretty in depth on a project, um, my office, which I'm talking to you from today, is like off the master bedroom of this house. So I, yep. you know, I stay pretty close to the project. Um, if I'm, you know, it changes because my work now is very project based, yeah. I guess, um, which I'm really enjoying. I think I work better on a, on, you know, shorter term projects and, um, you know, the big idea and then that energy and then kind of the next idea and that energy. Yeah. So I'm interested in that. Um, but no, it's, um, I, you know, I make no um, secret that I do suffer from anxiety. So I, I guess I'm more, if I can feel that that is something that's flaring up for want of a better word, I definitely, you know, put measures in place, be it, you know, just, you know, go walking down to the ocean or just like really simple things to, to, to just be and to ground a little bit, but no, not a daily thing that I religiously show up for. No. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I hear some people who, you know, they have their, oh, uh, yeah, well, I get up and I, you know, meditate for 15 minutes or whatever, and, you know, I'll journal or I'll mm -hmm. do this and I'll do this, and um, it's in a very set routine. Mm -hmm. And um, and generally the people who are telling me that are very successful yeah. in their endeavours, and you go, oh, okay, should I do that? And that's that thing again, you know, that's living the other expectation. Totally. And, um I go, you know, I don't know that it's the thing for, I know it's not the thing for me. I right. certainly know it's for some people it is and some people it isn't. I'm probably a bit more attuned like you. I'll get out of bed and I'll go and jump in the shower. Um, I don't have an office at home generally because mm. otherwise I will just work and yeah. ignore everybody else right. um, to my detriment right. <laughs> when it's pointed out to me by the rest of them. Um, but I do um I'll, I'll go and be in the shower and like I'll see Becky my wife walking past the the bathroom it's where we have an open ensuite <laughs> and she'll be like looking at me like get the hell out of the shower because I'm drawing on the walls and the steam is entirely yes <laughs> and then that might I might not use that for another week um and then I, I I do do things like meditate I really enjoy that and um I enjoy like doing, you know, I enjoy not having a very hard fixed routine. Agree, yeah. But I still try and get my big pieces in. Well, I think too, like it's identifying like what works for you. Like you yeah. say, like, and I put a workshop together called Creative Space. And I was like, where do you create space? As creative, you know, beings and creative entrepreneurs, it's our lifeblood. So I was like, right, if you get ideas in the shower, which is a, a common and great place to get them, it's like we should be carving out shower time as part of the creative process. Like I get yeah. them driving on the freeway. I don't live near a freeway, but maybe I should be like <laughs> you know, 20 minutes a day driving to, yeah. you know, the mind's active, but it's doing such a monotonous task that we know exactly how to do. So it allows these, these new ideas to reach us. And yes, new ideas, ideas are gift, a gift for us to do something with. It might be, you know, an act of grace for us to give to someone someone else it might be for us to pursue it might like you say you might get an idea and be like it's not now but in you know 10 days time a year's yep. time it pops up again so yep. it's like that's the routine it doesn't have to you know journaling and, and meditation I'm like all power if if that's the routine but it doesn't have to be and I think you know some people say I get it washing the dishes I get it doing gardening like whatever the the movement is that's the ritual for the individual I think so. Yeah, that, that's a great answer as well, because a lot of people feel that they have to follow somebody else's path with those things. And, you know, we get on Instagram and everyone's like, you know, I did my green smoothie and I did my meditation. I was like, oh, my God, like it's just I mean, it, it, we take on, again, this framework and this compare and despair. And then we're like, oh, wait, are we doing it wrong if I'm not doing, you know, seven pages of journaling in the morning? So yeah. I think we be listening to to ourselves and, you know, being the adult in 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 the situation because I often say you know I'm 39 years old and sometimes I'm like I'm just gonna wait for an adult to tell me what to do I was like nope nope you are the adult <laughs> <laughs> oh shit it's me better have a word with myself <laughs> totally strong word um, so I think you know taking the responsibility of knowing what that is where those ideas arrive from and what we're doing there and and carving that time out and discovering what works for you as an individual totally. my, my wife will get up at like uh, before sunrise mm -hmm. often yeah. um and she will head to the beach we live probably 10 minutes from the beach she'll head to the beach and whether it's raining or whatever it doesn't matter to her um she'll head down there and she'll take her walk and she will find a spot to sit 
and yep. just have her quiet time. And you know that, that she's like in her forties. That is making her her best self. Totally, and that's and, a, that is a beautiful practice. Yeah, and simple. Yeah. Yeah. And she she struggled for a long time because, of course, I wouldn't want to get out of bed and go. I don't go with her. I do yeah. one day a week, but I don't go with her. It's yeah. her space. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, she struggled because the expectation was is that we would, you know, get out of bed at the same time and right. do all these things at the same time as a family and stuff. Right. Um, but giving yourself permission to, um, you know, to be who she needs to be. Again, a framework that's like who's who made up that framework like, yeah who wrote this book i want to talk to them yeah get that sucker here now <laughs> it is it, it's it, like i was at a, i spoke at a conference for uh international women's day last month and yep. um the the mc was telling a story and she said oh a friend of hers um they were driving to they got two small two small girls and they were driving to the just had to go get something from the shopping center and so she picked up the keys and the, the mum and went to drive and the husband was like oh, do you want me to drive and because it was such a foreign concept for her to because he always drove right which is just a very normal thing mm-hmm. and she said no because I realized we've got two young girls and I don't want them sitting in the back just thinking that the man drives like I just don't want them to have that as a thought process wow. and I'm like just the most simplest things that we onboard as normal than the normal framework of whatever that is so you know getting up at five and we should both get up and we should both go I can see how that's a very normal thought process to to apply so yeah um you know and I think the the, the topic of international women's month the day this month uh, sorry this year last month was last month this year yeah <laughs> choose to challenge and you know in so many ways I'm like we have the job as as humans in on the earth at this time of challenging why we think the way we do and, and questioning every little bit that has just become, you know, second nature to us. And that there's so much depth in that, I think. I, I Absolutely. I think there's so much like vision and growth in challenging those things and getting in touch with the feeling of it so that you know whether it fits. It's taking totally. Taking the extra breath, taking the extra second to just get in touch with the feeling of it. I was talking to a photographer the other day um, a New Zealand guy, and he was saying he sends his students out because he does some lecturing. He sends his students mm-hmm. out and he sends, he drops them off in certain spots and they've got a camera and that's it. No right. phone, none of that. They've got a camera and he says, I'll be back for you in two hours time. And you must not leave this spot, this spot. I mean, like right on the spot, you can stand up or you can sit down, you can turn around. I want you to stay in this spot. Wow. And just observe. And he said, I said to him, far out. I think I'd go nuts in the spot. And he goes, everybody does. And he says, boredom's the first thing that hits them. But two hours is long enough to break them into actually observing things. And they're seeing the world move past them in that two hours. Right. Um, so that and but they can't move that's the rules and really powerful yeah I said to him I've got to challenge myself to go and do it just on my own yeah Um, to do it on your own is a big one too yeah yeah to to take the challenge to go two hours Mm, okay and not cheat the clock yeah Yeah. totally we'll not have a clock you don't know you've got to tell time by the sun yeah I might be there for a month Your wife walks past at five o'clock the next morning. Make sure you let her know where you are. Do you want a drink or anything, honey? 
That thing with the car was a really interesting one. My wife loves to drive. She's a great driver. She's got fantastic spatial awareness and stuff. And she she loves to drive herself. And if I if we go, we usually go in her car if we go somewhere. Yep. Um, as a family, we'd jump in her car. And um, she, if I go out there, I naturally just think I should drive. Right. Because, you know, I'm, why wouldn't I be? You know, yeah. it's like this yeah. ego thing, I think. And if I go and sit in the passenger seat, she looks at me like, is everything okay with you? Or right. are, you are you sulking? <laughs> <laughs> or if she's, if I walk out and she's already in the car, she'll be in the driver's seat nine times out of 10. If she isn't, I'll say to her, I'll check in with her, are you okay? And she'll go, you know what? I just want you to do all the driving and thinking. Really? I just want to be able to be in another space. Yeah. Um, I don't feel up to it right in this moment. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, um, but it's, it's, it's fascinating. Though, like a, a daily task like driving, that there's so many dynamics to yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Long-held dynamics. So. Yeah. My 18-year-old does the same thing. If you go in her car, she expects to drive. Mm. Yeah. I don't so, understand that. Yeah. I said to her the other day, I said, um, I was going to take some stuff to the dump and she's got a four-wheel drive with a tow bar. She's the only kid. She's the only one in the family with a tow bar. And um, <laughs> I, I was going <laughs> to love that, don't you? And I, I, I said, um, do you want me to drive? And she's like, no. I'm like, yeah. hmm, okay. <laughs> like, trailer she, on. Yeah, trailer on, full of crap. Take it I'm to out. the dump. She wouldn't yeah. get out. She didn't want to get out to smell the dump while I unloaded <laughs> it. But yeah. <laughs> that was the extent of how far she Fair went. Fair enough. I'll drive you out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You do the unloading. But, yeah, just interesting. And also that breaking that male thing of I don't think I ever saw my mum drive the car with my dad in it. Right. And, which, which I, and I'm the same. My dad always drove on, on trips. Yeah. So it's um, – yeah. And, 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 you know, going back to what we said at the start, like there's no malice to that. You know, when people say about feminism or, you know, I'm like, that's that's just a natural thing because my dad would have seen his dad drive. Like it's such a, you know, passed down systemic way. So not everything has to be with, with malice or, you know, discrimination. Yeah, or, or discrimination. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's now up to just questioning why. And then there's just the power in being given the shift of that's not how things always are. Like the, yep. the, having the, the power of, uh, just a more open um, opportunity, I think, and and what we see. So it's yeah. something I'm really conscious of. Yeah, I think it's. I love it. I love that. I I have a thing where, um, <laughs> in designing homes, mm -hmm. where I won't call it the master bedroom mm -hmm. because yeah. I'm like, what's this master bullshit? You know, is that something you do? So you need it called that? Is that is that a game that you play? Um, well, in your I, home, I think, but is it or, or otherwise is it just the main bedroom or bed one or can you say that because I, I was reading something on it um recently where it links back to like days of slavery where it's like yeah. it was the master's this bedroom and it, it's just yeah just something that we take on as oh it's you know there's no such thing as that now I'm like yeah, but it's rooted in that it's it's the core of that so it fascinates me yeah. it fascinates me that thing you know like and so I won't call it that. I do. I slip into it sometimes. But um, yeah. when women when women say um, when the master bedroom, um, I always have my little internal dialogue yeah. that goes, "Huh? Do you think that's something kinky they're doing, or is that <laughs> just 
a habit. <laughs> do they want to get into discussing that or do we need another room? Um, <laughs> on the plans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is, it's a really interesting thing. And it's, um, I even have um, some single woman clients who will call it the master bedroom. Mm-hmm. And um, I often will say to them, you got this. You're the master of this house. And like, we'll have a joke about it because it's part yeah. of the fun. I, I always think with design, um, you either design for an avatar or you design for a muse or you a design for yourself as well, I suppose. Yeah. But then being able to design for someone you know mm-hmm. requires a lot more empathy. And I find that the hardest to, when it's someone that you know. It's, um, yeah, the, the personal element in it and it's 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 a deep journey you've got to go on to get that right i always think that's the difference between um true art and design as well like mm-hmm. an artist although is only in their own empathy usually mm-hmm. um but they go deeper than a designer like um, right. they they have to get in touch with their emotions where as a designer you can be in touch with somebody else's emotions definitely and, and, and needs to yeah yeah I think that's an interesting part of it mm-hmm. um if you were telling a an 18 year old woman three good tips who wants to be an entrepreneur or as as entrepreneurial what would you say you know wants to do wants to strike out and not necessarily make a big noise but at least make one that makes them um, true to themselves what would be three things first and foremost is is find your own framework and I think at 18 that's you know as an 18 year old these days it might be a lot easier than I think it was previously but finding your own framework and I say that it is an actual life's work and something we have to revisit every day but questioning why you're taking on something if it, if it doesn't sit right with you and you can't put your finger on it questioning why and and getting clear on that um, I think the second thing would be to, you know, intuition. I think when I talk about the thinking, the thinking filter and the, the feeling filter is really, um, you know, investing in understanding the, the communication between both of those. I think it's, um, you know, we know what the word intuition means. We've known it as from children, but we've been raised that if you can't logically explain something or you know, can't tangibly show it, then it's not real. And I think that goes against, that's why we've quashed that intuition, intuitive nature that is, is innately specifically in, in all of us, but very much in women. And I think we've, we've, we've pushed that down so far. So um, getting back to that and understanding those two communications and knowing that you cannot fake a feeling and, and you know, really backing yourself in that space. Um, and I think the third one would be to, I don't know, I guess I say this from, from my journey, but it's okay to end things when when they're good you don't you know you're not in this you don't have to keep going if you know follow your curiosities in in every element like I said before get receiving an idea a creative idea is, is a gift and it's your responsibility to follow that curiosity and that might mean that you have to close the door on some other things but um you know you you have the freedom you don't owe that to to anyone else and it's, it's your creative soul that 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 needs the sunshine and you've got to find where that comes from so um yeah having the permission I think to to navigate that yourself. That's a, um, that last one's incredibly powerful. They all are, but the last one and not having to wait for it to be broken or over. 
I think that's you end able to make your own decision. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just wait for this permission slip. You know, I did it through as a creative. I'm, you know, I'm a self-taught creative, but I was like, oh, you know, an imposter syndrome just gets so loud. And I'm like, oh, I wouldn't have imposter syndrome if I had this design degree. I'm like, but now I'm like, I guarantee you I would have had imposter syndrome even with a design degree. It's like we're all constantly like, what's that external permission that I need to make this decision? It's like, again, who it's up to you. And I think that, you know, I read this in the other day where they said, imagine if we told kids when, you know, the, the littlest age yeah. that we remember com- conversing, um, you know, so often as a kid, you'd do something and then your mum or dad would be like, I'm so proud of you. Imagine mm-hmm. if we said to them, you must be so proud of yourself. So bringing it back in and being like, hang on, it's, it's not this external validation I'm continually seeking in every element. It's like, Am I proud of myself? Like that's a very big shift in in that thought process. It's a it's a fabulous one as well. <clears throat> I'm I live in an environment where my wife is a um, she's a business coach um, mm-hmm. and a leadership business coach really. And and it's one of the things that I see her do with our girls so much is look to their self validation mm-hmm. instead of her validation of them and she will do that as well but she will look to the first call as their self-validation oh, that gives yeah. me a goose like what a gift to, to truly especially to give young girls I'm like wow yeah. if, you, if you can turn it inwards that's just incredible I, I like the imposter syndrome thing um you did go and study writing I mean, when you're very gracious in saying that, I did one semester in New York because I was like, can I write? I'm not even sure what, <laughs> what if I can. But, you know, imposter syndrome um, is no stranger, I don't think, to anyone. Um, I, you know, I gave it a character, I personified it in my book, got its own character yeah. because I'm, I'm for so long um, I tried to overcome it and beat it and, you know, be rid of it yes. completely. And I think that, you know, I would, you would assume that the further your career goes along and, you know, the more success by whatever de- definition that is that you, you find um, that it goes away. And I'm like, no, it's just gotten louder and, and more prevalent to me. So now when um, people ask me how to, because in imposter syndrome, truly it, it, running a female business is the question I get asked most. How do you overcome imposter syndrome? Right. And I say, well, I, you know, I've given up trying to overcome it and now I find a way to live alongside it. So I'm like, all right, I see you, I hear you, give me, you know, five minutes to do this because all you need is this kind of like break in the clouds to just start something. And I'm like, once you can get that that momentum moving, imposter syndrome quietens down a bit and they'll be back, like they're, they're not too yeah. far off. And I was like, it's just that break that you need to, to just start. So I'm like, I'm going to live alongside you. I'm going to stop exerting all this energy to try and beat you. And it's like, I see you, I hear you, just give me a moment, I'll be back in a sec. And so I'm like, you know, give me a moment to do this podcast, give me a moment to, to yeah. write this article. And I yeah. actually um, I was asked to write an op-ed recently for um, a women's magazine on imposter syndrome. And so I'm writing, you know, writing her away. And then imposter syndrome like leans over and they're like, what do you even know about imposter syndrome? And I'm like, typing, I'm like, quite a lot, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you you want to know my friend here? No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, even as I'm writing about my experience with imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome is questioning what I know about my experience with imposter syndrome. So you gotta love that, don't yeah, you? Yeah, it's, it's consistent. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's that I guess, and that would be my my fourth bit of advice to, to young women is like, you know, just find a break in the clouds and and give it everything you've got while you've got that that time and then you know if, if you're enjoying it stay in it if not re, re, show up again tomorrow yeah that's great that's beautiful advice really really beautiful advice um have you got time for one more i do cool if today you had to choose one 
last thing. One last thing. This is the last time you can make an impact with anything. And I often ask this of architects, you, what would you design? Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you, well, what would that one last thing that's going to be, you've got a big legacy already, but that's going to be the final legacy point of your journey. What would you choose it to be? Oh, that's a big question. Um, I feel like, I don't know if I'm going to articulate this the way I'm thinking it, but like Give how it a go. I, want, I want people, especially women, to feel comfortable within themselves. And that doesn't have to be this loud, big, you know, shouting Mother Teresa size impact on the world. I want them to feel comfortable in their day to day. And I think that we're in a time of perceived, this perceived perfection. So we're so scared to show up imperfect or so scared to fuck up or so so I'm like I want in some way whether that's through you know me sharing my story or um you know the the information I hand over on the foundation to just find a calmness to show up every day within themselves and and as their authentic self and I know that's that's a authentic self's a big statement but just to find a calmness within because I think there is we live so much of our lives worrying that we're not doing it right worrying that someone's going to show up and take it all away or you know we're not worthy of it I'm like I want to I want people to find that calmness beautiful yeah absolutely beautiful Samantha so fabulous everything that everybody says about you is so true Oh. You're so lovely. Well, not everything. I read some horrible shit in the book. But that you're so generous and so lovely and so easy to talk to. Oh, thank um, you. Really fabulous. Um, you did do guitar lessons. I saw a photo with guitar. Yes. Do you, do you play? When I say I play, I know four chords, but that gets me through probably about a hundred songs. So oh, I'm a bring player, it on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big <laughs> fan, so I learn all her very basic acoustics. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I've had a few different architects that play um, on the show and um, they've picked up a guitar and actually played while I've, um, while I've been talking to them, oh, which amazing. is pretty fascinating. That yeah. is incredible. Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a <laughs> No, I'm not going to ask you to. I'm not going to ask you to. I just, I, I, I saw the photograph and I thought, how cool. It's, yeah. uh, again, another way of um, being creative. Absolutely. And I think one thing to, to talk, you know, obviously it's a creative podcast and an industry that you're in. Um, but with so I think and anyone who's listening to this who might not be in a traditional creative industry, I was like, we create everything. It's not just, you know, paints or pottery wheels or, you know, yeah. this, this traditional creative world. Like everything we do around it is create. And I talk about, you know, I used to think that there was a, a personal um, life and a creative career. And I was like, it's, it's not that. It's so one. And it's like we create friendships, we create homes, we create, you know, families. So taking that that pressure off when people are like, I'm not creative. I'm like, but you are. Everyone is because we're, we're creating this around. Every choice you make. A thousand percent. Leads, yeah. And you'll create a lot of shit as well. Yeah, totally. That you're going to have to create your way out of as well. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, you don't get to just create the good stuff. You get to create everything. Yeah, that's um, very, very true. Yeah, and you've got to enjoy, we've got to find the gratitude in, in that creative process as well, even when yeah. you create the shit. It's, and like we said before, like you, you've got to go through that. And, you know, I actually look at it as actual shit, like actual compost, like manure on the garden. I'm like, it might not feel good at the time, but it makes it grow really, really strong. <laughs> That's so true. I love it. I love it. <laughs> hey, well, I'll let you go because I know you've got another meeting. Thank yeah. you so, so much. Like it's been such a treat and the brilliant questions. And thank you for facilitating these type of conversations. I think it's so important and, and so needed. And it's, it's such an honor to be on your show. I think they are as well. So thank you. Go and have a brilliant day. Take care. Thank you too. Chat soon. Cheers, hon.
Bye. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.